Hi, my name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. Welcome to the Fourth U Dimension. Today's podcast is a special episode of our Getting the Message series. Uh, today in our service, we had what is called uh, the Question Box Sunday. This is an annual kind of exercise in our service where uh, the minister and a member of staff get kind of put uh, under questions from the audience. Uh, and so we had a chance to really have some great dialogue in our service and we're excited to continue that in our podcast today, as well as in the YouTube video version as well. So we're excited to have you here. Reverend Schuyler is here with us as well. And we are going to uh, reflect on the experience of having to take the questions in a digital setting, uh, as well as answer some of the questions. So Reverend Schuyler, how did it, how did it feel? I felt good. You know, I, I always love this service. It's one of my favorites every year. Uh, I'm always impressed and uh, excited to see what the questions are and always a little bit nervous as well because we don't see them ahead of time. But uh, but people, you know, there's always good questions that people have to, to answer. And certainly online was different because we don't actually see you while you're while you are listening or, or answering them. Um, but I, I hope that it was a meaningful experience for those who were there. Um, and I'm glad that we can talk about uh, it more on the podcast because we can get to all your questions. It was definitely a, an interesting first time, you know, as I joked, uh, I think, you know, I, I was hoping for, you know, what was your favorite color, which by the way is purple. Um, you know, I was hoping for some Noted. nice like softballs, you know, like throwing my way, just a gen gentle uh, welcome to fourth questions. But no, I got hit with some, uh, some tough ones right out the gate there. But I wasn't, you know, too surprised that people also were interested about something as practical as what, is, what does going back look like? Uh, and that that was uh, not a surprise, but it was uh, it was you know good to good to get to discuss that in the setting of the whole congregation. Um, so our we have a few rapid fire questions uh, as well as then some some more meaningful questions to dive into. So the first and most important question: uh, Where did monster trucks come from? Who invented them? <laughs> this is it. One of the hardest questions uh, offered by one of our kids during our time for all ages. The uh, it's the hardest because I had I didn't know it, um, so I had to go to my friend Google, and uh, it turns out that the the first monster truck was uh, created by a man named Bob Chandler in Pontiac, Michigan. Um, the first monster truck show was held in 1982, so um, they're really not that old. I mean, it's about 40 years old. Next year, I can say that now in 2021, it will be the 40th anniversary of Monster Trucks. So look forward to that. Uh, certainly, Fourth U can have some kind of celebration um, for uh, for that. A lot of Monster Trucks in New York City, of course. I, I do look forward to that. And uh, I guess the other question from our kids was, uh, who invented telescopes? It turns out that they've been around for a while. And, you know, I was going to guess someone like uh, Galileo or something. Um, but it turns out the inventor, according to Bing, because uh, I like to be different and use a different search engine, is Hans Lippershey, um, and he is the inventor of the telescope, which has been used by lots of scientists throughout the ages. I will say, looking back at our multi-generational service, we also had uh, your and I's favorite question, which is, why are there doors everywhere? Um, the, this one still keeps me up awake every night. Um, have you come to any revelations about why there are doors everywhere? You know, uh, it's a really hot, tough one. It, it feels like it's a good dreamlike question. Why are there doors? Um, 
there are doors everywhere. And I think, you know, if you want to be theological about it, I think the you can talk about how we are constantly moving from one place to the next. There's always beginnings and endings, um, new stages and old stages. And in some ways, doors are a very hopeful thing because you're never trapped. You can always go to through another place. And, uh, and so in that way, doors represent um, new chances, new beginnings, represent change. And I think even in our homes, doors represent transition. And, and we can use our, our doors to go from different places in our home. And, and that can often represent changes in mood, changes in experiences, um, different rooms in our homes and the world represent different things. Um, and so doors allow us to have the freedom and the power to make the choices for ourselves of what, what we want. Well, and as somebody who had the chance of experiencing a few different cultures, one of the things I actually did notice was was doors. Uh, in uh, Vietnam, nobody had um, like a peephole on their door to like see who was outside. Um, and But in, instead, most people had like maybe like a, a secondary security door or a screen door, um, usually not made out of screen. Um, but that they would have their main door open and have this other door on and locked so that nobody could just come in really easily, but so that there was a breeze mm -hmm. so that people could like, you know, stop by and say hello. Um, and I was like, wow, this is, this is different. So doors are also a cultural difference. Um, yeah, I, that's really true. I, it reminds me of this, of windows actually and the differences in windows. I remember traveling to California when I was in college and staying in a place that windows didn't seal. Uh, and coming from the Midwest, the idea of having a window that just kind of is like hanging there was super weird. And then I realized that in, probably in parts of California and other places, the outdoors is not hostile to you. Um, it's not out to get you. Um, you're not in danger of getting maybe a ton of mosquitoes or, you know, sub-zero weather that's going to freeze you to death. Uh, and so I think it also connects us to our our environment where doors go to, particularly indoors and outdoors. Um, how we see those places we consider home versus um, what is not home. Relating to doors, uh, one of the, the youth brought questions from the service that uh, I think that everybody, all the adults seem to be like, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's one that I think about too, uh, was brought by Opal. Uh, if, if there's an opportunity, so like if, if we have many doors in front of us, you know, how do we, how do we weigh which, which door we choose? How do we, how do we consider our opportunities? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, be a little bit more coy than I would like to be because it's hard to know without the actual circumstance, right? I think for most of life's big decisions, we have to weigh the circumstances. Um, there are times when it is completely appropriate to make a decision for ourselves and ourselves alone. Sometimes we have to um, because it's about protecting ourselves or self-preservation or simply allowing ourselves to pursue what makes us happy. Um, other times though, doing that is actually a selfish decision that we are prioritizing things that aren't our needs, but maybe our wants over things that are really important for other people. Um, and so I think for me, when I look at making decisions for myself and also for others, I try to ask myself, what, what are things that I need and what are things that other people need? And what's the difference between a need and a want? So, um, if I need something in order to be alive or to be happy, um, that's very important for me to make sure I get that. And that's true for other people too. But if, if my need conflicts with someone else's want, 
then the need wins, right? Uh, and that's true vice versa. If someone else's need conflicts with my want, uh, I need to learn how to, you know, step back and respect what they what they need and and support them in that. So so that's true with like personal decisions, right? So uh, if we're in a uh, relationship, if our parents or our children need something, right, just because we have a preference doesn't overwhelm that. But also to society, right? Like someone who wants to have a yacht is not more important than someone who needs food. Uh, and our society will often prioritize people who have the power to get their wants fulfilled at the expense of those people who don't but have really true needs. So it's very important for us to distinguish between this between needs and wants and make sure that the needs are made more important. I think uh, when I heard that question, two of the things that really popped to my mind and uh, you hit on some really great stuff there uh, was, was A, like uh, trusting, trusting our intuition. I think like our, our society very much uh, focuses on logic and on like we, you know, we have to make the right decision and that often kind of devalues like just, you know, going with what, with what feels right. Um, and I think that uh, learning to trust yourself is a really uh, important part of self-development. It's actually a part of my New Year's resolution for 2021 is to work on trusting uh, my intuition. So that's that's a good way in discerning opportunities. But I think that you were right that, you know, sometimes it, it isn't like that we just have a million amazing doors in front of us. Um, I know when we were living in Vietnam and the coronavirus hit and suddenly, you know, we have the opportunity to... Uh, flee at the advice of the State Department. And our other option is to uh, stay there and not know if we truly will ever be able to leave. Uh, you know, this, this is the, the opportunity presented before us and it didn't, it didn't feel like a good opportunity. It didn't feel like that there was a best opportunity. It felt like we just had to make a choice, be okay with that choice and stick with it. Um, I'm, I'm happy with the decision we did make uh, and everything worked out well in the end. But, you know, I think that sometimes that, you know, as you mentioned, like, that's not always like, you know, wow, here's just a million great, great and amazing opportunities. We just have to, to choose the one that seems the best. And we just have to be okay with the choice we made sometimes. Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. We have, there's a, there's a, we have to let ourselves rest in the decisions that we make um, often because it's easy to devil ourselves with what ifs and could ofs. And oftentimes we just do the best we can in the moment that is given us. And assuming our heart's in the right place and we're doing our best, uh, there is no book of life that gives us the answers to every single challenge we face. So, so follow your heart, trust your instincts, uh, follow um, love and compassion and, and justice. And if you have those things as your guiding light, uh, you're going to be better off than not. So um, speaking of needs, so here's a question for you, Ember. To what extent does Fourth Universalist exist to serve the needs of its members uh, versus perhaps the needs of the community or the society at large or some larger calling? How do mm. we strike the balance? Right. I think that what immediately comes to my mind as I, as I ponder that question is uh, like in the life of an activist, um, I, uh, I've, I've done that work myself, like been very involved in, in activism uh, and known lots of people that have been involved with it. But if you, if you stay in that, that scene for a while, you see a lot of burnout. Um, and I think that 
and it applies to communities as well. Like it's, it's wonderful, it's great, and it's important, and it's part of our mission and part of who we are to be reaching out and meeting the needs of society and meeting the needs of our wider community and of our world. But if we're not healthy ourselves, we're not gonna be able to do that well and we're gonna get burnt out and we're not gonna do well. And if we're not getting educated about how to do that better, like then you know we're, we're reinventing the wheel needlessly. So I think that, that fourth you uh, as this community that, uh, you know, the, the both and that I mentioned in the service that, that we, these aren't necessarily opposing. We can't do uh, outreach work well if we're not also taking care of ourselves and our, and our members uh, and making ourselves a more healthy community. If we're a more healthy community, I think that we'll be able to better, um, better be able to, to engage the world uh, in regards to our mission. Yeah. I, I think that is a very, very thoughtful response. Uh, and I would, um, I would complicate the question slightly uh, in the sense that I think often when folks ask me about Fourth U uh, doing things, so often what people mean is me or the staff uh, doing things. And, and I, would, I would complicate that and maybe push back slightly on on the notion that that fourth you is is everybody right it's 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 not just me and you ember or the staff or the ministers or even the board but it's everyone and so if someone in fourth you is asking you know do the, does fourth you exist to serve the needs of the members uh the answer is do we take care of each other do we exist together all 180 or so of us members plus the countless friends are we there for each other um, and, uh, and the solution cannot always be, uh, you know, let's have someone do this for us, but how can we do this for each other? Um, you know, I, I, the congregation is there to, to serve each other. And it's, uh, and it, it comes back to this question of, you know, who do we serve? Well, we, we certainly serve, we serve one another, but we also serve those who are not yet here. Um, if the pandemic has taught us anything. It's that the work of this congregation is is beyond just those people who are here and so we're not just a circle of friends right taking care of each other we're not just uh, um we don't all know each other and the congregation is not just the people we know um and it exists to serve all the people who've not yet yet found us and so we are stewards both of each other but also of those people who who have not yet entered and yet their lives will be improved because they have found us. And so we, we, we hold the space for them and, and create the community that is a place for them as well. I think that's some solid, some solid uh, complication of that, that question. Uh, so I think um, a lot of the questions grappled with UU identity. And one of the most common UU jokes is that uh, when UUs are singing a song, there the UUs are always reading the next line to decide if they agree with it or not. You know, this is very like in my six months of UU experience, like UUs, they they love questions, they love Question Rock Sunday. Um, but so when we're grappling with things like songs, maybe sacred texts, you know, when the language of these is you know maybe really overtly male or kind of offensive. Uh, like, how do we how do we handle that? What should we do? Yeah. So it's always a tricky thing, right? Um, I think fourth universalist and Unitarian universalism in general should be and, and 
often is, but not always, sensitive to the histories of, of pieces of music, as well as other histories, um, you know, other art forms uh, that, that come out of a time when, when people were not as sensitive to the diversity of the human experience as, as we try to be uh, today. Uh, you know, we saw today, we had a song blowing in the wind, which has uh, the song, you know, the, the phrase, how many roads can a man walk down? Um, you know, obviously not everyone is a man, not everyone is a woman. There's lots of, lots of different ways of being a gender if, if you identify as one. There's, there are ways that you can adapt those pieces of music that are, I think, ethical. Um, it's also sometimes challenging to adapt pieces of music um, because their author may not want you to do that. And so there's also some question about respecting artistic integrity. We try to take it a piece by piece basis. Uh, I, know, I know our music director, Sean Mays, works really hard to ensure that our music is accessible. You know, we, we try to follow the larger UU uh, positions on songs and, uh, and when appropriate to change the lyrics. Um, but oftentimes, the, we've had experiences where authors of songs or composers of songs actually refuse to let us change it. So there was an example of this. This is not about gender, but, but uh, there is a, a, a song called Go Now in Peace, which is a UU song in our hymnal that, it's not a UU song, but it's, uh, it's, maybe it is. I'm not sure. But it's in the hymnal. And, and there has been an effort to adjust the language to be less God-centric. And... And the author has basically come out and said, I don't want you to sing that. I want it to be God-centered. Don't make it, don't make it all pluralistic and UU spirit of life style of, of UU songs. I, I want the God in there. It's supposed to be about God. So don't change it to make it more palatable to your, your congregations. And that, so it's tricky, right? And so, you know, we, we do our best uh, to, to balance all that stuff. But I would say, I guess in closing and ending all this, that, we have to be really sensitive to it um, when in, when we possibly can. Uh, I think it's okay to, to mess around with the words. We do this with um, even some popular songs like Come Build a Land, which itself has some perhaps of colonial undertones to it, uh, but also has languages of sisters and brothers, which has been changed to things like uh, siblings in spirit or uh, to get rid of gendered language. So when we can, we do. Um, but it, it's, it's hard and it's also always, I think, a case by case basis. Let's see on a practical question. Uh, how is the roof project coming along? Yeah. Uh, so the roof project is going along. It ran to a road, a little bit of roadblock because the department of buildings decided to, uh, after approving it, when the roof project started, complained about our scaffolding and basically put a stop, stop work order on the roof, which was not ideal. And in fact, part of it was not even ours. It was, it was some of our, our, our neighbors' uh, scaffolding that uh, needed to be adjusted. And both, uh, both situations were frustrating for all parties involved. But the good news is that the stop work order has been, uh, has been ended. The work has started. And now really it's just... If we have nice warm weather, it should be done soon. Uh, certainly before the spring. It's just a matter of uh, needing the temperature to be high enough so that we can do the moldings. 
and then once then the scaffolding will come down and and then we can start on the ramp for the next project so there's uh hopefully by the time we're back together there will be no scaffolding there may be a ramp i mean don't quote me on that because these things that we know take a while but but there's lots of great progress I look forward to my first time getting to actually, you know, see the roof on its own since I started the position. Yeah, uh, I can't wait for you to see it. Um, and it should also be power washed in a really great way. That's our hope. Uh, so it should be the building should look nicer even with the roof uh, if, because the stone should be cleaned probably for the first time since it was built. So here's a question for you, Ember, which is more important or which comes first? Faith practice, the showing up to Sundays, the, the the praying, the meditation, the singing, or internal faith, the sense of knowing kind of where you are deep down and then acting it out. So what's what comes first or what's chicken and egg style here, the faith practice or the internal faith? Both and. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, like I, I suppose, um, you know, the first the first thought that pops into my mind is thinking about uh, being raised in the, the evangelical Protestant uh, tradition, and it's very much like you can't focus on works, but at the same time, they're very, very centered on like you have to have these specific experiences to be saved. Um, but I think that I think that faith, if it has any level of personal ownership and personal meaning, to me necessitates some level of practice. Like I, I just have a hard time seeing what faith is if it's not something that you're like acting out in some way like um you know i think that that yes there is a deeply personal part of it but like that personal then flows into you like wanting to get involved in certain things that bring meaning to your life uh, and so i think that to me if i had to pick like which one came first like that like you know i think as somebody who's, who was also raised in like a faith tradition, like it didn't really become personal uh, until I really made it my own through my own practices. So I think that practices uh, bring that that self ownership. Yeah, it strikes me when I you know I think about when when does religious understanding or practice or learning start? It comes with often children who are brought to services are are dedicated are just sort of tag along because their parents make them and perhaps from those experiences and those relationships they develop in their religious home they are prompted or or encouraged or or simply find themselves sort of submerged in religious life and practice and then from that comes a, a, a nurturing of religious identity and understanding that that may not have existed beforehand so and then i think i then i think they kind of reinforce each other right it kind of goes one to the next of a practice invites reflection which invites sort of a practice and preferences around practices and i think unitarian universalism particularly for religious education really works hard to do that because because we are such an introspective and reflective faith where we really value people who think deeply about how they're feeling and what they believe and I think the practices help clarify those things, but also spur deeper understanding because we, we feel by through our actions what happens when our belief gets put into practice. Um, so I think it looks like we probably have about like two that are a bit, little bit uh, deeper and then two that are a little bit personal. 
Um, so uh, as a deeper one that looks like it, uh, when it was submitted was specifically aimed for you, I ask Reverend Schuyler, what is your concept of God? Put some quotes around it since it has quotes in the question as well. Yes, quotes. Uh, quotes around the concept of God is a very you you thing to do. So thank you for that question. Uh, so I, I don't think I believe in God. I don't. If someone had to ask me to bet on it, I would say that God, in whatever form, is not something that I necessarily would would bet on. But that said, I would say that the idea of of truth being real, uh, the idea that that there is a reality that permeates um, the universe is something that I find very appealing. And uh, and I would like to believe that there is right and wrong in some form or another and that that matters. So for me, whether it's a single God up there that has some kind of consciousness or, or even sort of underlaying like moral grounding to the universe, I have no certainty about about those things. Uh, I've never had a spiritual experience that would inform me or make or or, or say like Skylar, <laughs> here is what it is. But I do think that for me, when I think about when I think about evoking God or talking about faith or or a sense of the spirit, for me, it's an evoking and a living into a deep hope and longing for things to matter in some kind of transcendent deeper way than what they just appear to be so the idea that the love we feel for each other is not just the love of organic blobs that are born to this world and then disappear but that there is something somehow more truly profound about that love that the love that we feel is, is a reflection of a deeper love uh, that the hope we feel the longing for connection for uh, depth the grief we feel when we lose somebody that those things are not just not just what they are material but there's something that's that's uh more substantive to them i uh i really uh i hope that um and so for me faith is not it's not a certainty it's it is a longing for that and it's a longing to live my life as if there is deeper significance to it um and and knowing that when i do the world is uh, made more special. So, so it is not, it's not about being for me an atheist or a theist. It's about choosing to imbue the world with significance and, and, and believing that the world is sacred and that people are sacred and, and not being hung up too much about the technical definitions of what those words mean. Um, but for me, I know what sacred feels like because it's a feeling that I have. I know what love feels like because I have loved. Um, I know what loss and grief and despair feel like because I felt those things too. And so, and so for me, religion is a practice of, of putting value on things that are good and saying, we should make sure that we pay attention and that this world is better off and we are better off when we make things sacred and elevate them to something that's beyond just the banal. And whether that's God or not, I don't I don't know. Maybe some people describe that as their God and that is a wonderful thing to do. But for me, I don't need that language in order to do that. I think that's I think that's very excellent. Well, well, well explained. Thank you. So I have a, a one question for you as from one of our our young 
members or children again to loop back to them is why are we born now versus before or later the metaphysical question for you um so i think uh, gosh you know i um i grew up uh, a big history nerd and i think you and i have actually talked about that on these podcasts before because we both grew up a bit of history nerds and i think that uh, any history nerd perhaps uh, comes with a little level of that, oh, it wouldn't have been interesting to like live then and be in the middle of all of this and doing this. Uh, but, you know, I think if 2020 has shown us anything is that we are in the midst of all of this. You know, I think, as you said, as 90s kids, we were raised with this, like we're at the end of history, like we're, we're as good as it gets. Like this is what this is what it is. But history is still being made, you know, so um you know, in some strange way, I'm sure that, uh, as, as was talked about in the service, that in 40 years, maybe someone would be like, wow, I really wish I grew up in the 2020s, or, you know, I, I, um, I've seen suddenly, you know, all these people, like these younger kids being like, wow, I really love this, like mid-2000s music, and like, you know, while I, while I have, you know, great love in my heart for Fall Out Boy and Green Day and uh, mid-2000s uh, pop punk, you know, like, it's weird to me to think that like kids, uh, like teenagers now are like, wow, I wish I was alive back then with this style. <laughs> um, it, was, it was not quite as exciting as you think. Um, so I think that it's important for us to like value that we are alive in the moment that we are in. Um, and that every person in every time period, they've had their challenges, uh, and they've had to rise to face those. And we have that opportunity for ourselves. There is no moment in time that is boring or unimportant. And oftentimes you need history in order to give the the lens and be able to be back further enough to see the significance of that moment. But but every moment is important. And if it's not seen that way, it's simply because we haven't as as a society come to understand or see it as as significant. I remember I feel like in learning about history, at least American history, thinking that basically everything after World War II was kind of boring and pointless, maybe after Vietnam. We never really got much further than there. The curriculum board kind of petered out. Um, but, you know, looking back at that time, like the post-Vietnam era, a lot of things happened that are so super important today. They're not all good, um, but this idea of a culture war is so powerful and so important. And we really, I think, need to understand those things. And we're in the midst of that right now. Um, you know, I think it's easy to have things like wars or... Um, these sort of defining moments define our history, but but in some way, in the, it's in the subtle things, the shifts of consciousness, the developments of ways that we are together, that are truly what are are most fascinating. I mean, you and I, Ember, have lived and grew up in a moment of tremendous change. Um, I mean, I remember when we got our first computer, when the uh, school, I, my elementary school, got their computer lab, and I had to learn as a third grader how to use a computer like that that is a really strange moment and but at the same time I remember the time before computers and there will be a time in our lives probably when we will be the only generation who remembers that the time before computers were there and that will feel very antiquated and odd and there may be some people who look back and think that would have been a great time to live in that moment that burst of energy right that burst of creativity when this technology was coming out and we didn't even know, right, um, what was gonna be happening. So so I think, I'm sure there's a lot that's going on right now that people will be curious about 
I hope it's a hope it's a positive shift that people look back and say this was the beginning, like like you talked about during the service, Ember. Yeah, is it is it too soon to get a degree specialization in twenty twenty studies? Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's twenty twenty one now, so we can you know already start getting our our degree in twenty twenty studies. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It'll be it's there'll be a lot of books. There'll be a lot of mini series. I'm sure there'll be. Uh, I don't know, I'll be really I'll be really curious how history remembers this year. And of course a lot will depend on how 2021 goes. Yeah, definitely. So maybe one final question. Uh yeah. Amber, what is something that you miss from pre-pandemic? <sighs> oh man. Uh, what is something I miss? I think what I probably miss the most. Um, hmm. gosh, I mean, it's so complicated with my, with my travel history and with like being, being abroad. So, you know, like part of me is tempted to say like being near friends and family, but we were thousands of miles away from our friends and family, um, or like going to restaurants, but you know, we, we still go and we still order food. So like, you know, there's, there's some up of that. Um, yeah, I think that what I miss most more than either of those is just, um, I, I guess I kind of miss the normal flow of time. Like everything just feels, uh, still, even after all this time, really surreal in terms of like, that I, I feel I really have to structure my weeks so that like, there's any sort of like concept of what day it is, what's coming up. Um, and I miss just like that, that, that sense that, um, I, that it, there was a time that I didn't feel that I had to do that quite as much because the days just kind of happened. Whereas now I feel like I really need to like plan ahead and be really intentional. Um, so I suppose I miss that a little bit. That's interesting. What about, what about you? Well, in some ways what you're saying that you miss is something that I actually will miss. Uh, I, I, I like the schedule of the pandemic. I, I like the freedom of being grounded. In some ways, it's sacred time in the sense that it's removed from the ordinary, um, that the world is, is in a way that it never has been in my lifetime, going through a shared communal experience together where we're sharing a reality. If not, obviously, the world is very divided, but it also, but it also there's, a, there's something about being grounded being um online in the way that we are that that feels simple that uh, it feels less uh, torn in my mind torn between many different commitments it's simple you know it makes things i'm not running around the city all the time i i'm not feeling like i have a million things to do so those things are things that I've, i feel like i've gained from it but i think i miss i mean i miss I miss the the ease of seeing people. I miss whether it's the fourth you members and friends, um, you know the the wonderful sanctuary being there with with everyone. I I think I miss the the energy that comes with travel and the the reboosting that it does for me. Where if I I go someplace, um, not having a car um, and having my wife be pregnant means we can't really go anywhere because she's vulnerable. Uh, for to COVID particularly, and we don't have the freedom to really move around and don't want to take a plane. So, so we really have been grounded here, and I, I do I do miss the ability to to get out. And I know a lot of people have been doing that, and many have been doing it very safely, but uh, it's not feasible for us. And 
um, we definitely have used travel as a way to recharge. And so it's been challenging to find ways of doing that while being in the same apartment for months on end. And, and that has been horrible, but I do miss those places. I miss going to Florida where we have a, our family has a place. I miss going to Wisconsin where my parents live and, and just to, just to drive around and, and not feel like worried about things. So mm. that one, that one definitely resonates. You know, I feel like we've, we've had a chance for a little extra adventure because we just moved here. Um, so it, it is all new to us, but like, yeah, I, I do miss that like excitement of like getting to, to travel and do some. And so that, that, that one resonates with me as well. Um, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all of our listeners for this slightly longer than normal getting the message. Uh, but we hope we had a chance to, between this and the service, really get a chance to uh, wrestle with some of the questions that you all provided us. So thank you, Reverend Schuyler, for taking on the time to be on today. Thank you, Emma, for having me. These are always fun. And thank you to our listeners. We will see you uh, in the coming weeks.